All right. It is good to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is good to worship with you this morning. That was a powerful song, wasn't that? That was powerful. Well, it's good to be with you and uh, specifically good to be with you as we anticipate, of course, uh, this coming week is um, a holiday. Your grills are already roaring and preparing, are they not? You're already getting set. You've bought your charcoal. You are ready and rip-roaring to go for July... Fourth, July 4th is coming up this week, right? And so hopefully you are going to be excited to spend time with family and friends and maybe even maybe a low-key day. I don't know what you have planned, but hopefully you will find it as an edifying and blessed time this week. We as a church body, we're thinking about how we can uh, take advantage of this opportunity to really look at and understand the gift of not only July 4th, but on a much broader sense, uh, since we have just been covering um, questions and ideas in scriptural study on kings and kingdoms, what would it look like to spend some time talking about and looking at our contemporary kings and kingdoms, the governing bodies and the governing structures that help edify and protect and lead us uh, here in this day. So for those of you who are new or or visiting this morning, we've been studying over these last couple weeks a series called Kings and Kingdoms where we looked at three specific kings. They came out of the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible. The first king we looked at was King Saul. Uh, And Saul, uh, from the get-go, he was kind of having trouble. He kind of made some poor decisions, right? Maybe not the best king, you know, kind of a rough go at it. But then we had David, and we spent two whole weeks on David. And the first week with King David was awesome, right? You remember that? He was fantastic, rising star, amazing guy. He's going to be one of the best kings of all time, right? That's what we kind of began to see and explore. And then we realized in the second week, David also makes mistakes. David, too, has brokenness. David, as a king makes many discouraging judgments. And so even though he followed after Saul, he tended to follow after Saul not only in succession of line, but also in some of his behaviors. And he made some, he made some poor decisions. Worse yet, his son Solomon, same thing, started great, great wisdom, great insight, going to lead God's people in a God-honoring way. And yet... He began to compromise in his faith and in his life and in his walk. And so as a governing, influential leader, ended up leading the people of God away from God. And so it's kind of disheartening, actually, to step back and look at the last couple of weeks and realize, boy, kings and kingdoms out of those Old Testament, there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of brokenness and hurt that was there. And it would be easy to criticize and condemn those kings. It would be easy to criticize and condemn their decisions. We might not only disagree with them, but also speak out against them in such a way that we criticize them and condemn their actions. It would be easy for us to do that of these governing authority figures. As I was thinking about this Sunday, I realized, isn't it easy, isn't there a temptation for us today to do the same thing for our contemporary kings and kingdoms? 
Isn't it easy, not only just to disagree, but even perhaps to criticize, to condemn, to look at those who are in positions of authority and say, Nah, I don't want anything to do with that. I mean, if you think about it, with our contemporary kings and kingdoms, isn't it sometimes easier just to ignore what's happening in our world? We don't like the way the government is going. We don't like some of the ways the news talks about things. We don't like the conversation. And so what we do is we actually isolate ourselves from institutions. We isolate ourselves from those things that we find to be disagreeable and corrupt. And we withdraw from the conversation. Rather than being a participant, we say, nope, no more. I'm not going to do it anymore. And we slip into that habit of just simply criticizing and condemning. And underlying that, perhaps beneath that, is a question specific to Christians. And that is, as a Christian, how do we behave? How do we deal with government when it doesn't go the way we want it to? How do we, as Christians, navigate the reality that we are both citizens of heaven as Christians, but we are also here now citizens of our country, citizens of our world, citizens of earth. What do we do about the tension that so often seems to rear its ugly head? I mean, have you ever felt discouraged by your government, public service? Not only disagreed, but I mean criticized. The reality is that we as Christians, we have to deal with this dual citizenship. How do we do that in a God-honoring way? Can we do that in a God-honoring way? We ask questions in the news and in, in, in today's world. We hear things like, you can't be a Christian and have voted for so-and-so. You, you can't be a Christian and be a Republican. You can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. You can't be a Christian and be part and a contributor to this government. You ever heard that before? What do we do with that? What does God have to say? What do the scriptures have to say? Fortunately, we are actually not the first Christians to be in this situation. To have sometimes a tension and having to, to understand that. There's a guy named Paul. He's the apostle. Apostle Paul. He writes much of the New Testament after Jesus has come. He is a Christian. And Paul, as a Christian, writes to another group of Christians who are living in the city of Rome. You're familiar with the city of Rome? It is the capital of the Roman Empire at that time. And there are Christians, people who are following Christ in Rome, who are living with this tension of, can you be Roman and a Christian at the same time? Is that even possible? How does that work? 
You see, Rome, Rome had a reputation. I mean, Rome was the big, powerful Roman Empire. But more than that, for a Christian, when you look through Christian eyes, what government was primarily responsible for the death of your Lord and God? Who killed Jesus? Uh, the government would be, of course, Rome. So how do, you, how do you participate? How can you be a part of this Roman government that killed your God? Jesus. Worse yet, Rome actually outlawed Christianity. You could not be a Christian and be safe in Rome. Things got so bad that, the, that there was this emperor named Nero. You guys ever heard of Nero before? Emperor Nero? Everybody's heard of him because like National Geographic talks about like how nasty this dude was. I mean, this guy was off his rocker. He was crazy. Crazy with power. Crazy with lust. Crazy with death. This guy was responsible for huge amounts of death and destruction. And specifically, he got really good at killing Christians. I mean, nowadays for entertainment, we say, hey, you want to go grab a movie on Saturday night? But back in Nero's day, you'd say, hey, do you want to swing by the Colosseum and see what Christians Nero is feeding to the lions tonight? That's what they did for entertainment. They actually fed Christians to lions. That's what was cool. That's what kind of government these Christians were under. So how do you do that? How can you be a Roman Christian? A citizen who claims Christ as king above all kings and yet also still functions within the government and worldly realities we find ourselves in. How do you do that? Now, if I was the Apostle Paul, and I heard about all these Christians under great oppression, boy, I'd probably speak my mind in a less charitable way than most towards government. I mean, if you were being oppressed by your government in such a significant way, you were nervous about getting arrested, you were nervous about being fed to lines, you would suppose that there would be an outcry against that government. If I was Paul, I would be angry and write things to these Romans that would be undermining the Roman authority. And yet, Paul does something incredible, totally unexpected. Paul puts government and public service into a Christian, godly perspective. It's in Romans chapter 13. Paul says this to these Roman Christians. He writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good. You will receive its approval. 
For it is God's servant. Say the next three words with me. One, two, three. For your good. This government is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid. For the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It's the servant of God. There's that phrase again. To execute wrath on the wrongdoer. You step out of line, you do something foolish, you're violent, whatever it might be, the law steps in. Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, not only because you know there are consequences to decision, but also because of conscience, because you genuinely understand and believe and know the purpose of government. For the same reason you ought to pay your taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, there that phrase is again, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. You see, Paul does something absolutely unexpected. While he might not agree with everything that happens in the government, while he might not agree with all the institutions and the decisions that people make in the public service that's happening, Paul recognizes that at its core, at its foundation, government exists for your good. Government and laws and institutions, policemen and firefighters and health care and all these systems that are created, these societal structures exist for your good. Theologians have determined two primary ways that they function to protect your good. They're broken down in these two kind of ways. The first is that these institutions, these structures, these laws and governing bodies promote life. You see this with ambulance workers. You see this with people responding to situations. You see this in a larger perspective and structural and society expectations. That the government and our society actually can foster and nurture life. And not only does it nurture and foster life, it protects life. It protects life. It keeps evil at bay. It intercedes, even with the sword, as you heard, to to prevent wrongdoing and to punish and, and bring consequences to evil behavior. And so the government serves you and I for our good by fostering life and preventing evil. And so sometimes, even though we get discouraged, even though we might disagree, Paul points us to the fundamental purpose that governments exist for your good because God is working for your good. See, the Christian who says that they are only going to be a citizen of heaven and that God's work is limited to the citizenship of heaven 
has not read Paul. That person does not understand the worth and the value that God works in and through government, in and through public servants, in and through broken people who do make mistakes, but nonetheless God uses them for your good. In the same way that he used Saul and David and Solomon, God uses contemporary authorities for your good. Now it's true. You won't always agree. Governments can make mistakes. People make mistakes. Do we not? Have you ever made a mistake before? Institutions, just like people, can make mistakes. Families can make mistakes. Churches. Churches make mistakes. Governments are no exception. They can make mistakes. But we as Christians hold to the truth that Paul writes about. That despite our mistakes... Despite the mistakes of our family, the mistakes of our church, the mistakes of our government, we believe that God is still active, redeeming, working, healing, bringing people together, that he is using these institutions and structures for our good. This is why the Apostle Paul refers to them three times as servants of God. This is why you should go hug all of your public servants that you come across. Your aldermans, your, your policemen, you should bring them coffee, you should bring, them, bring hugs. Uh, teachers, uh, people who are in government in various positions. Paul says they are servants of God living out their vocation. In fact, he goes so far that he actually writes to a church. Just like our church, he writes to a church that has a pastor. And he says, I want you to read to your church something that I have written about governments and authorities. And this is what he writes. He writes to a young guy, young pastor. Uh, his name is Timothy. And this is what he writes, saying, I want you to share this with the church. I want you guys to do this. He writes, first of all then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and even thanksgivings be made for everyone. For who? See that word? Kings. And all who are in high positions, positions of authority, positions of influence, positions where they serve you and I in public sector. So that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. You see, we are to give prayers intercessions ask god to bring them wisdom and insight ask god to bless them be thankful and be grateful for the government and the systems and the laws that we have why because do you see what they do do you see the significance of what they're about 
They allow you and I to lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and dignity. They allow us to pursue our Christian faith. These governments, these laws, they allow you and I to pursue Jesus Christ and live our Christian lives. This is right. It's acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires that everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You see, government is a gift. And that gift, it provides space for you and I to experience God's grace. Government gives space for God's grace. If you're so busy and so worried about how you're going to be hurt or where food's coming from and all these things that are tugging at you, have you ever been stressed before? You've been stressed? It's hard to focus and hear God's grace when you're stressed and overwhelmed and being come at from all sides. And so God institutes these structures and these systems and these institutions to help hedge and protect us to prevent chaos from overwhelming us and in turn give us the space to live as Christians. And pursue the Christian life. That doesn't mean governments won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we're going to agree with everything governments do. No. But what it does mean is that at its core, at its center, you and I, we, can be grateful for the opportunities that are afforded to us because the gift of government. In a very tangible way, you and I are in a space of grace right now. You know how lucky we are that our government, specifically, gives us the freedom to gather in this kind of way so that we can publicly pursue Christ? There are not places in the world where this is always the case. We have the privilege the gift of such a, such an incredible quality of government that, that we can actually gather as God's people together. We, we, we can be as a community on land together and build buildings and, and, and gather and witness and share that all people might come to a knowledge of truth. And we are afforded that by the provisions made in our government. So the exhortation to you, the invitation to you, is to step back and and don't get sucked into being critical. Don't get sucked into being condemning. But instead, step back. Be grateful. Be appreciative. Pray. Intercede for those in positions of high authority. That God might continue to use them to work in our world for your good. We're going to close by actually pausing and asking God to do that right now. So would you please join me as we pray and ask God, pray to God, 
over our government and those in positions of public service. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for kings and kingdoms, for King David and Solomon and Saul, and that though they were broken people who made mistakes, you would use them. You would use them to usher in your citizenship of heaven. Thank you for their witness and their stories over these last weeks. Thank you also, Father, for the kings and kingdoms of today, for those who are in public service, for firefighters and police officers and healthcare workers and the aldermen and alderwomen and people who are just so gracious day in and day out by living in such a way as to uphold our government, our laws. Thank you. We ask for wisdom. We ask for patience. We ask for insight for those who are in positions of authority for the kings of today. We pray and ask that as we gather this coming 4th of July, that we would be mindful, that we would be appreciative, that we would be grateful, that we would teach our children the privilege that we have of being citizens not only of heaven, claimed by the highest king, but that we also have a place in time now where we can pursue that calling, where we can truly pursue our Christian lives because it is afforded to us by our earthly citizenship. Thank you. We ask and pray that indeed you would continue to work for our good, the good of your people and those that you love, that more people might come to a knowledge of your truth and your kindness and grace. We ask and we pray all this according to Jesus Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords, who has the final say in all things. The government will be on his shoulders, <laughs> your scriptures say. Thank you for both government and for our King above all kings. Amen. At this time, we're